This is EdTech Weekly, and this is episode 86. I'm your host, Ricky Zager. Joining me tonight, Christy. Christy, welcome to the show. Hey, Ricky. Happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, We have a new addition to the house. I know we talked about it uh, last show, but Lady Matey McFluffy Face is here. And she is already a integral part of the family. She is ridiculously cute and ridiculously fluffy. Okay, so when you say like "come here," like what do you say? Hello, come here, Lady McFluffy, McFluffy face, or how does that go? Okay, so my son uh, often will use the full name, which is hilarious because he's four <laughs> years old and he calls her Lady Matey McFluffy face. And he he had actually, <laughs> sadly, last week he had a little spill uh, on the playground. And our, we thankfully have a neighbor who is a PA, and he asked Riley a few questions and to, just to check and make sure he was okay after hitting his head. And one of the questions is, what's your dog's name? And he was like, Lady Matey McFluffy Face? And our friend was like, yeah, he's, he's okay. He's going to be all right. <laughs> so it was kind of funny to, to just see the experience of having the dog. It was a long drive, and I was exhausted. But we're here, and um, we're ready to do some EdTech. You ready to do some EdTech? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's do it. As we always do, we begin with that Ed Tech Rundown. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, our first story, the Hetchinger Report, brings us a story on school districts' uphill battle to get good deals on Ed Tech. The problem really comes down to public data regarding purchases being difficult or too time-consuming to obtain for districts. The prices can vary wildly from district to district, and Apple is one of the worst offenders. Um, Hatching a report analysis of Apple purchases found five districts received double-digit percentage discounts, while dozens of others got no money off at all, even when making large purchases. And when a $50 price difference on a laptop can mean hundreds of thousands, even possibly millions of dollars in bulk purchases, this is clearly a big deal. Uh, if you're an ed tech purchaser, you definitely need to check this article out. Transparency seems to be key here, so you know exactly what deals others have gotten. The problem with that, some say, though, is big companies may stop doing deals altogether if other districts use that against them. Chrissy, this is clearly an issue that all public education people should be concerned with. Do you think hiring a deal shark or something like that is the answer here? How has your district dealt with this? And have you been able to do any comparison shopping as you've done some of your initiatives? Uh, yeah, definitely for public education. You know, these are public dollars, and it seems like there should just be a flat price that everyone gets. It's whether you're a large district or a small district. So to find out that Apple is so you know varies so wildly, um, that is a bit concerning. So for us, you know, on all school districts and. Um, probably yours as well, you know, our large purchases do have to go out to bid. And sometimes we do what we call a piggyback bid. So we use another larger district's bid pricing. Um, But I think the big point of this article is it never hurts to ask for a lower price or a bundle discount or what else can be added in, say professional development, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, but never hurts to ask of, you know, what else can they do or what else can they include? Yeah, I think the days of just assuming that because you're in education, somebody's going to give you a discount, um, if you if those days were ever here anyway, are definitely not here now. 
you just have to make sure that, like you said, you're doing your best to get the best deal that you can. And don't be afraid to say no. I mean, that's part of the problem is the pressure to spend the money that you're getting. So there's a lot going on with this. And I don't know, it, it really makes me, it gives me pause to think that it, it changes such a drastic amount when we talk about, you know, 50 to to $100 per device, what that can mean for a district. Definitely. So it's something we should all watch out for. Our next article is from uh, TechCrunch that asserts that EdTech is having a renaissance, which is being powered by the emerging world. The next billion EdTech prize launched at the Global Education and Skills Forum by the Varkey Foundation to recognize the most innovative technology startups destined to have a radical impact on education in low-income and emerging world countries. Some of the concerns of these emerging countries might also be applicable for rural and or poor school districts. One example is DotLearn, which allows videos to be accessible on slow internet connections. Another highlight was the winning startup Chatterbox, which is an online language school powered by refugees that have been displaced. These emerging countries like Ethiopia, Ethiopia have some of the largest populations under 25 on the globe. So these startups are not only useful, but necessary as well. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what was really kind of cool about it was just looking at that concept of how some of these emerging countries really are dealing with things that a lot of small school districts are dealing with. Um, especially found cool the concept of being able to, you know, watch or stream video with low internet connections and that that's becoming something that they're having to problem solve for. And I don't really know how much that's been done in the U.S. I don't think much. And there's a lot of people who could use that here too because although sometimes I know we feel like everyone has broadband and everyone's got great internet access, the reality there is that they just don't. For sure, especially in our rural communities and I think... I read somewhere about 50% of school districts in the U.S. are considered rural. You know, it is a problem. You know, not all of our students have access at home. And so even a little access would be good. So um, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, our next story, a Business Insider article explains that Sana Labs wants to revolutionize the $5 trillion, that's right, education industry, Sana Labs founder Joel Hellermark who is just 21, by the way, has an aggressive philosophy. He says, we want any education company in the world to be able to implement adaptivity in just a few days. There are tremendous hurdles to cross in order to scale AI personalized learning at this level, I'm sure. He also says, we're expecting improvements in orders of magnitude. Based on studies, students should be able to work through the exact same content in half the time or be 25 to 30% more engaged. I'm not sure why that's an or, not an and or. Um, For those of you who are super techie, the reason uh, this is so different and disruptive, as as it claims, it isn't just an AI tutor, but it's an intelligent AI layer that's applicable through a universal API. If all of that stuff just sounded like letters and you don't understand, that's fine. But essentially what it means is that edtech software companies could put more easily deploy this AI in their own ecosphere, in their own programs, in their own apps. Christy, putting aside all this technical stuff, half the time to learn something does sound pretty intriguing, right? It does. And that was pretty techie, Ricky. And you might have lost me somewhere in there. But yeah, I can get on board with learning things faster. And that's what technology is about, right? helping us to be more efficient so we can focus more time on on problem solving, being creative, 
and collaborating with others. If it really does happen, I'm for it, but I need some help with the tech side of this one. And clearly, I need help from a 21-year-old AI genius. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good for him, 21. I don't even, I couldn't even understand what was happening. I don't even know if I knew how to tie my shoes at 21, let's be honest. I mean, come on. That's pretty awesome, though. But, you know, the one thing that I always go back to when, it, when we get talking about this AI stuff is, are they, with half the time, are they then learn, are they then losing those experiences of failure or misunderstanding that help them to get better? Um, and help them to actually learn. I know they're moving through it, but are they truly learning it? I, I'm not sold necessarily on that just yet. That's true. That's a good point. But maybe they can just move on to the next task and learn from failure on that next one. All right. Our next article, according to EdWeek Market Brief, a 1.1 billion federal block grant makes EdTech training a higher priority over software and devices. A nearly threefold increase in appropriations for the Title IV A block grant in the new federal budget means that many districts across the country can dedicate more funds to helping teachers learn how to use technology for instruction. One of the priority areas is supporting the effective use of technology with professional development, blended and personalized learning and devices. Professional development definitely needs to be funded more completely and these priority areas ensure that a percentage of the grants are used to help train faculty. This, shows, this show has always encouraged more professional development, and this sounds great. What do you think, Ricky? This sounds pretty useful, right? Yeah, I mean, it does sound useful for sure. My only concern here, I think, is are we taking away funding to buy technology and so then are we not really getting the technology we need in order to replace it? Or is this just additional? I, I, you know, when I looked in the story, it feels to me like it's a sort of where we're making you use a percentage of this money you were already going to get for um, professional development. And that may be okay. Uh, I mean, I certainly think it's a good thing to have that available. But if it's taking away and you're not able to get all of your students involved in that technology, then I'm not sure... Are we actually, you know, I'd rather just see this additional money that's only available for professional development, not, hey, if you want to use 15% of this, it needs to be for that. But you can still, you know, I, I don't like those trade-offs. I'd rather say, here's money that you can use for only for professional development. And it's an addition to the other stuff, if that makes sense. Definitely. You know, we would be looking for additional funds because as we've talked so many times, the professional development is key to any implementation or change of practice. You know, in my dream world these days, I would have an unlimited professional development budget and I'd be able to pay teachers fairly for their time outside of their instructional day, time over the summer, and just build it in as part of the professional expectation and be able to pay them appropriately for that. Yeah. So maybe someday that'll happen. We can hope. I mean, I, I definitely think this, just the fact that they're calling attention to it, I think is a good step. So let's hope it actually um, leads to some good things too. All right. Well, you know, you can follow us on social media. We got a lot of places to go. EdTechWeekly at gmail.com. That's how you can get in touch with the show. Um, we, of course, have a Facebook page at EdTechWeekly Show. Find us there. I've been posting a lot of articles there throughout the course of the week, probably two a day now. 
um, just to kind of keep up with the ed tech news. We can only cover a few stories. So if you want to be a little more informed of some of the ed tech news going on, please follow our Facebook page. Also, edtechweekly.reddit.com. Get in there. It's been, a, it's been a minute since I've been in there in my subreddit. I'm on Reddit all the time. So I really need to, I have no excuse to not be on there. So I'll try to get back in there and be more active. And of course, on Twitter, at Christy M. Warren. She's the better follow for sure. And at Four Tech Teachers, that's for me, the number four tech teachers. Um, Christy, I will just briefly, if you'll indulge me, uh, we I had a meeting with um, a packback person today and kind of showed us. I don't know if you remember this. Now, this is the um, sort of AI helping discussion boards. Um, I don't know if you remember us doing a story on that a few weeks back. Um, but I got a little demo, and there were some pretty interesting things. I won't get too into it other than to say that if you have a large lecture class as a professor, probably higher ed here is what we're discussing, and you want to get some somewhat inquisitive and good discussion board action, it's really hard to do if you have like a lecture hall of 400 students to say, hey, let's do a discussion board. So what what you can use or you can try to use is Packback. And um, the demo looked pretty good. It definitely would be a good solution for a large lecture hall. So I don't know, Christy, if I'm taking a Christy tech tip here. I don't know if that's... No, it's, it's a I feel Ricky like, tech tip this I feel week. Like, I feel like, and I just, I made a new graphic for your tech tips. I mean, I've got all this stuff available for the video that if you're watching the video now uh, after the show, you know, I was hope maybe we'll just pretend this is yours. But anyway, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And I would suggest checking it out if you're in higher ed and you have a large lecture hall, but you're still wanting to somehow, you know, get some discussions because you can't have even live discussions really with 400 students. And sadly, there are lectures that are like that. Yeah. Is there a cost to that? Yeah, it is $18 per student per year, which seems like a lot. But I mean, I don't know. I would hope schools could absorb some of that cost. We probably won't be able to do it um, at USF, at least not in our uh, regional campus where I work. But it is, um, it's something to look into. Let's just say that. I'm not going to go into saying this, this is the solution. But if you're looking for a solution like that, this might be the thing. Yeah, that looks cool. It's, you know, they're just looking at their website right now. How do they do the high-level questions? You know, that's different than most, you know, just student engagement. You ask a question and put it out there. But, it, you know, did you find out anything about that? Yeah, so what it really does is it makes them use certain words when they write a question. Um, it, it's, you know, making sure they're using certain type of verbs or adjectives. If it's just a straightforward, super basic question, then it prompts them and gives them ways to make it a little more meaningful. Um, I don't, when I, when I consider AI, I don't know that I consider this to be really robust. I mean, I'm sure it's not easy to do, but it's not quite what I thought. And, and there's probably more that she wasn't able to show. So I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to talk down about it for sure, but, um, there's a few things that it prompts you and helps you. And, and she used the word gamification that helps people to sort of feel maybe accomplished or feel like they're doing something cool as it rewards them for making these types of assertions or these type of questions. So it's definitely something to check out. Um, again, higher ed, if you have a lot of people in your class, it might be a solution for you. All right. Thanks for bringing that tech tip, Ricky. Yeah. Well, listen, it's nowhere near as good as the Christie tech tips, but it was a tip. And so there you have it. That's all I have for you today. <laughs> All right, Christy. Well, this is the end of the show, and we will see you and hopefully everybody else back here next week on Ed Tech Weekly. <laughs>